0: Galpin, the team of brass, and Carson Sestuli. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio. Making not what is not yet his weekly Thursday appearance, but will likely become his weekly Thursday appearance, Wednesday appearance, Thursday appearance, lead prospect analyst for fangraphs.com, Eric Longenhagen. Eric Longenhagen is not only the guest, but he's also helping me with the introduction for reasons that the listener will understand by listening to the bonus features of this program. Eric, hello. Hello. Yeah, Eric, this is the introduction to the program uh, on which we discuss, for example, um, um, excellent players from small conferences like Kyle Lewis, um, and also including, for example, past examples like Hunter Dozier and Casey Gillespie. Uh, we look at those players who were selected in the 40s range by the Atlanta Braves to see um, how they compensated for the underslot signing of Ian Anderson, third overall. And now you, now you say a thing we discussed.
1: We also discussed the San Diego Padres draft class towards the end of the podcast.
0: Yeah. The
1: immediate and future prospects of Chicago White Sox shortstop Tim Anderson and his unique baseball background. That's right. As
0: yeah. well
1: as other ephemera and ridiculousness.
0: Yeah, That's right. And also you, your mother has stopped by to perform some home improvement. Okay, very good. So I will say now, uh, what is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? Lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs. Eric Langenhagen, when does it begin? Right now. J2 stuff mostly. Now, when you say J2, please, will you. I know, Lisa, I know you're embedded in scouting culture, Eric Langenhagen. Mm-hmm some of our listeners are just simple people looking for conversation about baseball. And when you say J two, I think you mean July two. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm compiling,
1: you know, just names and sending emails and texts and making sure that we have good coverage for the upcoming July second international free agency period. Yeah. As the last one lapsed today.
0: The last one lapsed today. Mm-hmm. What? Wait. What lapsed today? The previous. A
1: two period. So oh. Today was the last day to sign somebody and have it count. Oh,
0: from the previous one. Yeah. So there's like a two week. uh I don't think this is the right use of this word, but a two week refractory period. Yeah,
1: I think that is exact. If you're the Dodgers, at least. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah, it would be. I'd consider it a refractory period. Yeah, because they're have a two year refractory period.
0: They're getting ready to go at it again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean,
1: I you know they're in the penalty box now for the next few years. But yes, uh, it's it's time for everyone to start signing gobs and gobs of international free agents.
0: Gobs, huh? Gobs. <laughs> so yeah, I'm doing that. And then
1: like there's there's a uh, area code tryouts here in Phoenix this weekend. USA Baseball has like a 92 team tournament here this weekend. So I'm combing through rosters to make sure that people I need to see that are here in my backyard get seen. Right. Uh, and then just preparing to go scout in the Northeast next week when I'm back in
0: Pennsylvania.
2: Oh yeah. What, are you? what am I? What? What
1: are you doing?
0: I <clears throat> I'm uh, failing at at owning a home. I'm doing a very poor job at it. Okay. Yeah. I went out today to uh, to I was going to say I was going to start my garden bed. You know, my raised bed for my garden. Sure. Yeah. So I bought the compost, but guess what? I did not purchase at all. What's that? Uh, hmm. A hose, um, a uh, a wheelbarrow, uh, or fertilizer. So really, also I did not buy tomato cages, so it's uh, it's it's going poorly.
1: I forget we have like a little garden bed here too that's been difficult to maintain because it's so hot. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but we don't have to deal with fauna. We don't need tomato <laughs> cages. There's nothing, nothing lives here that eats anything.
0: Right. Hey, let me, wait. let me ask you a question. Um, Yeah. This is unscripted, Eric Mm Longenhagen.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You mentioned that uh, just name, you're going over names, names, names. Mm -hmm. Now, if you, uh, I know for me, again, I'm not as uh, deeply embedded in prospect culture as you are, but I certainly do uh, scan leaderboards from time to time. And I feel like, I feel like there are a number of names in my head, Right. Yeah, I would say I probably know, and this is—I don't think this makes me exceptional anyway. It's probably the case for many of my colleagues, many of the site's readers. I know the names of probably most major leaguers at any given point, you know, with the exception of uh, some left-handed one-out guys in bullpens.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm curious for you, if you so, so especially you're gearing up for the international free agent signing period, right? So, right. So it's your Right now, it's incumbent upon you to stock your head full of those names and to attach to those names uh, certain attributes. Right? Yes. Of course, and then it's the case with other sorts of amateur scouts, prep prospects, college prospects. Um, certainly, for Fangraphs, you'll be writing also about uh, pro- professional prospects as well. At what point, if if at any point, do you think you expunge the names? From your from your mind, from your your memory, is there a point? Because I know that I know Kylie McDaniel did not really have a great deal of interest in discussing major league players, and why would he? He spends a lot of his time doing uh, with other considerations. He certainly knew about them; and he knew some of them from when he had covered them as a prospect. But at what point do you think you expunge those names, if ever?
1: I this is something I've thought about. I don't think that there's a conscious expunging of those names. Mm-hmm. I think that there's a finite amount of room in my brain to just store and have immediate recall of, uh, you know, a, a player's tools and his overall profile based on his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, whoever isn't in my head anymore, that used to be, I don't know, because they're not in my head anymore. <laughs> right. So, it's hard for me to, to tell you definitively how long the half-life of uh, a mental scouting report in my head is, and when it sort of expires and goes away, like the the memories in Inside Out, <laughs> how they sort of die away and lose their uh, their allure, their color. Have you seen, have you see the movie, which one? Inside that... Out. No, never Inside seen... Out.
0: Who's in that Who's in that movie?
1: That's one of those Pixar movies. Oh with, no, I uh, haven't. Amy Poehler plays the, the lead character, and uh, Phyllis Smith from The Office plays, I guess. What I'd call the secondary character.
0: Yeah. I know. I, I haven't seen it. Is it... Uh, should I spend time... Well, that's Probably. not her real name. Phyllis Smith isn't her real name, is it? Her... Oh, it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes, I got is. you. Yeah, I'm with you. I know. I think her name, her last name was changed on the show. It is. But you're her
1: right. first name. Yes. Yeah, you're right. So, so obviously, Phyllis Smith is not a name that was expunged. <laughs> from... No, you got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So yeah, it's hard. I don't know exactly when they sort of drift away, uh, and, and what that does, but that's, we're not at the point yet where it's, uh, anyone of immediate importance, but uh, I do fear one day that we'll get there. It is yeah. something I've thought about, and it does strike fear in, into me. <laughs> just forget people who are relevant because there's just not enough room for everybody.
0: Well, at a certain point, it kind of makes sense probably too, right? Because, like, uh, um, the, the scouting report's going to change. If someone says maybe, uh, like, you, you know, oh, you wrote about this guy three years ago, you're like, uh, oh, yeah, okay, it's coming back to me. But you recall, your recall recall would have to do with, you know, would concern that player's skills from three years ago. In three years, mm-hmm. I imagine, especially for those sorts of uh, players who are selected at 16, those three years are a big three years.
1: Yeah, even just a few months for guys can be, just depending on the guy, can be huge. Jamie Paxton's scouting report from last fall league and I tweeted about this is already completely obsolete. Right. Now, I saw him three times last fall. He was like 91, 94 the first time I saw him in the middle of fall league. He was 88, 91, and then later in fall league things kind of popped back up again. But he was still like 92, 93, and now he's you know touching 100 and it's just completely – You know that was just a few months ago.
0: Yeah. Now did you? Uh, I don't know if you get. It's okay if you didn't. It's okay mm-hmm. if you didn't, but Eno Saris. I'll state: Eno Saris wrote a, a pretty great piece examining the, the the changes that have occurred for James Paxton, mm-hmm. uh, including yeah, lower, I, lower, I, yeah. Go ahead. Lower, lower arm slot.
1: Slot, you about to say. Yeah, I read Eno's you know, thing. It was good. Yeah, it's uh, but yeah, I mean, like, without me being at Mariners camp every day and seeing those changes being made, like it's hard to. It's hard to stay abreast of all that until it happens. It's just hard to predict some of that stuff sometimes.
0: Yeah, that happens. I, I know that uh, a player for whom uh, that occurred, the, the the bump in velocity, and, and this one was hidden to some degree, um, uh, but but he came up a couple times on the podcast with Kylie was um, Eduardo Rodriguez. I mm-hmm. think that I think that something like the Red Sox. It was just from like an instructional league thing. They had seen him play or they'd seen him throwing harder than ever before and that's what led to them to to select him in the trade, I believe.
1: Is that possible? Yep. Mhm. Sure. Yeah, there's um why is the name of the player escaping me? I guess it was expunged. Mhm. Uh one of the, the there was a minor trade this year that the Braves executed <laughs> for uh uh an Angels pitcher who had been struggling down here in extended. Like, he was in the AZL for the last few years and just, just didn't look good. Uh, and the stuff just sort of popped so this year, this spring, and extended. And, you know, he was part of a minor trade early in the year and uh, is still, like, sitting 93, 95 with an above-average breaking ball in uh, Florida right now in, the, in Braves camp. Like he was just one. You know, the Braves have a bunch of guys out here in Arizona sitting on extended uh just, you know, combing every last inch of desert, literally, mm-hmm. and, you know, just finding what they can and trying to hop on it before anybody else does. Teams are doing that more and more now. There's, there's more... Even people who have been around camps out here in Arizona for years are shocked at how many scouts are traversing the backfield still. It's not something that's been widely scouted until the last few
0: years. Well, it makes sense. It's, it would seem to me, especially, perhaps it's only because we've cited... The instance here of a couple pitchers, but it, it seems to make more sense with pitchers because velocity is so important to performance, right? And there's definitely, uh, there's definitely, well, I shouldn't say definitely, but it appears as though there is a velocity floor um, where if if a pitcher drops below that, his the likelihood that he'll be effective at all against major league hitting is pretty low. Um, but it, but there's a, also sort of a, a vo- another velocity threshold above which You know, a pitcher can can have a pretty – it gives a pitcher a wider margin for error, I guess, so he doesn't need to necessarily be refined. I mean, for example, Jordano Ventura, of, you know, for the last couple of years, he doesn't really necessarily have a lot of refinement in terms of pitching, but he could survive off velocity, and certain pitchers Mm -hmm. do survive on velocity until they actually figure out how to pitch. I mean, Tim Lincecum obviously – uh, towards the end of his giants days was a much different pitcher than at the beginning and he was still uh, he was still effective at times with uh you know with low velocity Felix hernandez of course has adjusted as well i mean bad examples because one has been uh you know one was essentially released and the other uh the other's uh, uh pitched poorly this year but that 's the idea that 's the idea adam McCreary
1: was the name of the uh prospect traded for Cooley's Chassin.
0: Oh yes, Ulysse Chassin. hmm Yeah.
1: That's the guy.
0: And yeah. He's clear. like
1: it's low to mid nineties now with an above average breaking ball after he I, mean, I have to go check my AZL notes from last year, but he was like, you know, probably ninety ninety two. She's a really big, big kid.
0: It's also Yeah. I agree. Oh, you go agree. Ahead. No, you you go ahead. I agreed with your I agree with your
1: take on the importance of velocity. Yeah. Certainly all things else being equal I'd rather have someone throwing 96 than someone throwing ninety one
0: who had the uh who has who possesses the greatest velocity and because we because much of the questions I ask you beginning now i believe will concern the uh, the amateur draft mm-hmm. uh, which pitcher in the draft possesses
1: the greatest velocity well I mean Rodney Pine is up to you know 102 you saying one hundred two is good? Yes, one hundred two is good. Okay, yeah. Uh, until last year, I hadn't seen very many guys touch one hundred. I actually think the second time I'd ever seen anyone touch one hundred was last spring. Josh Stalmont. Oh sure from the from the Royals. Uh, you know, I saw him pitch in college, and he was up to one hundred two. And then later that year in the fall league, it was, you know, half dozen guys were touching 100 miles an hour. The Rockies have two guys in extended touching 100. Like, it's just sort of gotten kind of really ridiculous in a hurry. But yeah, I'd say Pint has the best pure velocity in the draft. Uh, and then Zach Birdie among the college arms. Uh, he's another guy who's, who's crested 100.
0: Oh yeah, he is a, are, uh, he's some sort of, uh, relief pitcher, isn't he?
1: Mm-hmm, yeah, he's the one who blew the save over the weekend against, uh, East Carolina, was okay. it East Carolina? No, yeah. UC Santa Barbara. A freshman who had 26 plate appearances this year hit a walk-off grand slam off of Birdie over the weekend.
0: That's improbable, isn't it? It is. Yeah. yeah. Hey, some a changeup, mile an hour. Change. That's a hard changeup. Listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably. Speaking of probabilities, what do you think for Riley Point? Riley, Riley Point, you say he hits 102. Um, yeah. Has hit 102. What do you think – because I know that when uh, – I feel like when Kylie – we talked about some research he had conducted at one point in one of the organizations for which he worked. <clears throat> he was looking at velocity velocity readings from when a pitcher – let's say when a pitcher was in high school versus mm-hmm. velocity readings when that same pitcher, you know, uh, had made it to whatever, low minors. And there apparently there was there was very little correlation between the two figures over the entire population of players, the pitchers who were in that organization. Um, I guess, A, do you find that surprising? And, B, if you were to place, like, a you know, if you were to look at probable outcomes for Riley Pint, I mean, if he's, what, 18 now, 19 now? If you were to look at him as, like, a 23-year-old, what do you think? turns
1: 19 November.
0: Okay. So what do you think are the probable outcomes just for his fastball velocity as a 22, 23-year-old?
1: I think that there are so many variables at play beyond just how hard a kid is throwing now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there's the delivery is certainly one. I think the body is another. Uh, And, you know, I think a lot of kids in general don't ever throw harder than they do in high school because once they get into pro ball and start experiencing such a heavy workload, especially the ones who come from places that aren't quite so baseball uh, happy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, if you're a pitcher in the Northeast, your workload is, as a high school kid is going to be much, much different than it is even your first 16, 18 months in pro ball. And so I think that there's just a lot of different factors that contribute to how a pitcher's velocity comes along. Right. So for Pint specifically, who's just sort of – I mean, if you, uh, have you ever seen Riley Pint pitch? Have you ever seen – I've seen like, – his physicality and his build and the arm acceleration, it's crazy. <laughs> um, this is sort of the kind of pitcher who, uh, just looking at him, and obviously the, the, the velocity is so exceptional and sort of an outlier on its own, but him just sort of physically is so bizarre and freakish compared to what we typically see from the average high school arm. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't surprise me if he's still a consistent 93, 97 at the age of 23, uh, despite the added pro workload. And his family's been very cautious with the way he's thrown over the last few summers so that he hasn't been overworked. I think that's an important factor, too. Uh, I think Pine's just kind of a freak.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, It wouldn't surprise me if he's still sitting mid to upper 90s when he's 23. Right.
0: Uh, on the topic of you, you also brought up Josh Stalmont. stomont. Stout, you say it. Stalmont? No, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think it's
1: Stalmont. I've always pronounced it Stalmont. Yeah,
0: we don't we don't have to be entirely accurate. We know who who we're talking about. He went to Azusa Pacific. Hell for pitchers. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. Um,
1: I think was it three fifteen down each line or three hundred down each line? When I went to see him, he gave up a leadoff home run on a ball that, like, the kid barely hit. Okay. It was just, he just sort of made decent contact with it, and because the pitch was 101 miles an hour, off of those bats, which I don't even know if they're regulated the same at Azusa Pacific in, like, that college conference at that level of college baseball as they are at Division One college baseball, mm. but, you know, the, the kid barely made contact with it, and it just sort of shot out because it, the ball came in so hard. Right down the opposite field line, and just over the the wall. Uh, so he was just one of those who you kind of have to just toss out the statistics, right? Because the environment he's pitching in was just such a bizarre place.
0: One said, I believe that one metric you do not have to toss out with regard to Stilman is the walk rate, because is, he, uh, I mean the report on him was right that he had this excellent velocity, a live arm, mm-hmm. but um, his command was poor. And that uh, that continues to be the case it seems now as a professional. I was just checking. He, uh, he struck out roughly or, or nearly 30 percent of batters he's uh, faced in, in high A this year, in the Royal system. He's also uh, walked 20 percent uh, of them, which is a figure you would like to half, and even then you'd still be on the high side. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was it? I guess what was uh, who was huh. <laughs>
2: I,
1: he, it's odd for him too because it's an easy delivery it's an easy 98 uh, to 100 mm-hmm. uh, but it's just he doesn't repeat the release point comes and goes and he'll have whole innings where he's completely dominant and you wouldn't expect hitters to touch the fastball and the others where he couldn't hit the broad side of a barn
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, he's one of those guys when I do head to the northeast that I'm hoping to run into at Wilmington and just see where things are at. But yeah, I mean, I think at this point, it's it's not fair to expect him to be anything more than a reliever. If the, I think if the Royals were going to work some sort of magic with his ability to throw strikes, that we would have seen some signs of it already. Uh, but with the delivery that easy, I suppose there's always a chance that things sort of tighten up.
0: Right. Hey, let me ask you about Kyle Lewis. Mm-hmm. Kyle Lewis was selected 11th overall by the Seattle Mariners, out of Mercer University. Mercer is in the Southern Conference mm-hmm. and has not produced much in the way of at least uh, high-level major leaguers. I think that's pretty fair to say, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested how one goes about, how you would, or what you know of the practice of other uh, talent evaluators. One goes about um, preparing a scatting report on a player like Lewis, who appears to have on the one hand exceptional skills and certainly exceptional uh, performances, but also is playing against talent um, that is you know n- not representative of the sort at all he's going to be facing as a professional.
1: You know the way teams seem to do it or at least acknowledge that they were considering Lewis in this way is pretty similar to the way a lot of high school hitters are evaluated especially ones who come from geographic locations where there's not a lot of good pitching. And that's that they weighed more heavily for him than they would other prospects the previous summer on the Cape, where he was dominant, and the level of talent is more uniform uh, and generally of higher quality.
0: Okay, and and how well did he do with the Cape?
1: I had people telling me he was the best prospect on the Cape.
0: Okay. Now, it does uh, seem as though those those Cape evaluations – even even for those players who are playing in the the more competitive conferences, they they carry some weight uh, to them. It, in some cases, more than you certainly more than you might expect, given the fact that that player um, is playing the next spring. He's playing college ball and maybe not putting up the same sort of performance in in whatever division he's playing. Um, but you might see that. That Cape scouting report uh, carrying carrying a certain amount of weight, even though it's uh, you know nine months old. It's some you know almost.
1: Yeah, because I mean, they're playing with wood, and it's the best college summer league in the country. Uh, and as far as a competitive environment goes, it's it's just the most. Uh, I, I think I still think uniform is the best way to put. It. There's like the baseline of the prospect in the Cape League is much higher than it is in the Northwoods League or the Jayhawk League or something like that.
0: And so you're looking at yeah. So the floor essentially is the impressive thing. You're never going to get, uh, rel- you're never going to get a comparatively easy at bat if you're a batter, or you're never going to be facing, um, you know, a total, um, a, a total zero as a hitter if you're a pitcher.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I certainly teams are just evaluating the tools in a vacuum too. Right. Uh, you know, when he it doesn't matter who. Through the pitch, I couldn't tell you, but he hit a ball over the batter's eye, I think, during the Southern Conference tournament, or at least hit the batter's eye at the Southern Conference tournament. You know, on a, on a swing where he was sort of out on his front foot and didn't really sort of get his uh, lower half into the swing as well as he'd like to, he doesn't sort of have that backside collapse that created some of that natural loft that you see from, from power hitters. On that particular swing, he was out in front and still just sort of flicked his wrist. And you know 425 30 feet later uh, you know the ball lands and that's just crazy physical skill right. now, <clears throat> there's, I, there's degree of that as well I thought that was one of the better picks in the whole draft
0: Chris, Chris Mitchell wrote about Kyle Lewis and you looked at him in the context of other players who had been selected um, I guess in the in the first round certainly within the yeah. first 20 picks Um in the last, you know, since uh, since 2000, we have been selected out of schools that belong to less competitive conferences, um, and I was wondering if if maybe to the to the degree that you remember these players have have scouted them, you could mm-hmm. uh, d- discuss, uh, I guess, the logic behind that selection, and also, um, you know, um, how this happens that that a player could 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 end up not being particularly sought after not very sought not particularly sought after as a as a high school player but could become a top 20 pick um when the you know when the draft comes around so i guess the first one okay. i mean lewis of course is an example of this um mm-hmm. there were a couple of examples from 2014 that uh that Mitchell cited and one of them was well one of them was Casey Gillespie they got like, a, like a, a sort of a, l- a lumbering, does that seem to be fair, a lumbering first base type out of Wichita State, which is in the Missouri Valley Conference, which is not the smallest of conferences, uh, but it does not produce as many major leaguers. Um, wh- what would be the logic behind behind selecting uh, Casey Gillespie?
1: Well, was that, I think that was the draft where Tampa had a, a ton of picks, or at least one of them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I saw Glassby in the fall league last year and didn't like it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess things have sort of changed this year, at least enough that it's worth heavily revisiting what I saw last fall when I probably you NP'd know, him or put a 35 on him as sort of a, an up-and-down uh, or a platoon type of bat at the very most. Uh, you know, the circumstances surrounding his selection at the time were just, you know, switch hitting first baseman, uh, definitely first base only, but uh, there was bat speed and comfort from both sides of the plate. Good uh, hand coordination, strong wrists, you to know, punish uh, pitches even with wood, despite the fact that there was very little hand separation, not a whole lot of uh, load in the hand there to sort of get the bat moving, mm-hmm. sort of generate bat speed and really punish the ball through the zone. Everything was sort of short and conservative. And that was one of the bigger issues – that I had with him last fall was that uh, that's how things looked. And, you know, he was sort of a punch-and-judy hitter, taking things the opposite way. Certainly not enough game power to profile for me as an everyday first baseman.
0: Because you, uh, you need to produce a lot of offense to stay at first yeah. base in the majors.
1: So I think
0: uh, that
1: the power especially didn't translate quite the way Tampa thought it would come in pro ball. But given some of the changes that he's reportedly made, uh, I don't have specifics as to what they are, just that there have been changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he's so, someone worth revisiting this summer and over the off season when we start rolling out organizational lists.
0: Right. Well, the selection of any sort of player who seems destined for first base, uh, the selection of that type of player in the in, say in, you know, within those first twenty picks is always I, it is always notable, right? Because it's essentially the organization stating that they don't regard uh, defense as uh, I mean, they, they acknowledge the defensive limitations, but they think that the bat will play given the, it, even despite the tremendous burden that Deb will be placed on it, given the defensive limitations.
1: Yeah, I've, I've spoken to scouting directors who are very wary of considering not just first base only guys, but corner only guys in the first round because they're just suspicious of those players' athleticism. If they're not, you know, major league, playing Major League Baseball, usually, you know, there are certainly exceptions, requires a tremendous amount athleticism, that at the amateur level, it probably plays somewhere in the middle of the diamond. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, there are guys who are just even wary of guys who are already in an outfield corner uh, or players who have some physical projection left but are already at third base. Uh, They're concerned that it's a sign that they're not quite as athletic as they might need to be to play Major League Baseball.
0: Right. And 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 the other thing is too, of course, that if you do, if you do select a player who has some defensive skill, uh, then there's then there's margin for error both on his uh, both on the offensive and the defensive side.
1: I agree with that. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm glad you agree with it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> what, what's going on with Dan Vogelbach? Speaking of this conversation, where's it, what's he up to these days? If you don't know, it's fine. I can tell no, you. Oh, I know.
1: I saw him this, I saw him last fall obviously, and I saw him this spring, mm-hmm. and you know, it's just the same for me. It's not, in my opinion, a, a major league quality first baseman. I think it's fine. I think it's okay. I think if you want to put a 55, uh, or 60 on the hit tool, mm-hmm. then you can. I'd probably put like a 50 or 55 on it. Uh, and the power is just okay. Again, I just don't think in general that there's enough there to profile every day for me at first base, and certainly I don't think he's a very good defensive player at first base. Uh, maybe you could make him a DH if you're an American League club that wants to acquire somebody like that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's just not, I mean, his, what, his, his, he, I'm assuming he's dominating AAA, right? I don't know his numbers off the top yeah, of my head. Yeah, well. like he's
0: hitting quite well. It looks like he was hitting quite well. Yeah. I mean, it, both both in terms of the results, but also, you know, some of the uh, the indicators there. You know, uh, not striking out crazy amount, walking a bunch, things he's done uh, elsewhere, I suppose. But, um, yeah, I mean, that was always, I mean with the Cubs as well. That was always interesting with regard to the um, near fetish level interest that uh, was a Jed Hoyer exhibited in Anthony Rizzo. Um, because, of course, I think Jed Hoyer was with the Red Sox when they drafted Rizzo. And mm-hmm. then he acquired Rizzo after becoming the general manager of the Padres. And then the Cubs, uh, the Cubs, of course, acquired Rizzo after Hoyer was, uh, uh, joined, joined the organization there as well. That, is that true? I think that's true what I'm saying. And, uh, well, it yeah, it's, no, true factual things. Yeah, yeah, it turns and out he, Anthony Rizzo is good. Anthony Rizzo is yeah, good. He's really, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. So it worked out. First baseman. Okay. Uh, what about, uh, also from 2014, Max Pentecost from Kenne- State, Kennesaw State University? Max Pentecost.
1: Yeah, Pentecost um, is just, sorry, it's sort of become more of a Michael Bauman uh, pet reference than a baseball prospect. Michael, Michael
0: Bauman of the Internet, who. Uh, Oh, he so, writes, yeah. for, writes for a number of the different Ringer, outlets, I guess. Yeah. The Ringer now,
1: I think almost exclusively.
0: Oh,
2: okay. Well, good for him. Yeah. But, uh, but,
1: yeah, you know, uh, just Kennesaw State catcher who had sort of enough athletic ability to be a defensive asset uh, at catcher, and then more than is typical offensive skill for someone who can catch, especially, you know, from an amateur perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly rare, quick twitch athleticism for a catcher from Pentecost as well. And then just sort of sort of been ravaged by injuries since he's uh, been in pro ball.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think to the point where I, some of the power is gone uh, offensively as well as some of the mobility defensively. I don't even think he's catching right now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you know I don't. Um, but at the time it was just a rare skill set for someone who could also catch more than it was an elite all-around skill set that was worthy of uh, consideration at the very top of the draft on its own.
0: Okay, yeah. And um, and as you mentioned, the injury period appear to have been a problem. He was selected in 2014. I think only recently recorded his 200th plate appearance as a professional. Mm-hmm. Not an ideal pace, is it?
1: No, and I'm seeing now that he's only DH'd this year.
0: Yeah, so there you go. I'm glad you did that research, that follow-up research. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, <laughs> um Yes, so that was Max Pentecost. The the other, let's see, 2013, of course, gives us Tim Anderson, who uh, has recently made his Major League debut. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I guess, uh, what, did did they pick? No, I mean, certainly not not 100% of the first-round selections in the draft get to the majors. Anderson's done it, and I think uh, not necessarily at an accelerated pace through the minor leagues, but at a, at a pretty standard for, one. For
1: someone with his background, I would say it is.
0: Right, okay, yeah. That's a good way of saying it. Right. Um, and he did not appear... I, so, you, you can get uh, the, the numbers for a player tell a story to some degree. When mm. I look at his walk and strikeout figures, I say this does not look like someone who necessarily has a refined game, at least offensively. Um, and yet... The scouting can, reports would support that. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad. And then the... And then, uh, but then his his uh, stolen base numbers also suggest to me that he probably has some sort of uh, uh, some sort of foot speed to use to his advantage. Uh-huh. Does that seem fair? Yeah, I yeah. agree
1: with you. Yeah, I mean, I I, I wrote about Anderson um, once the draft was done. I guess that should be up soon. Uh, oh, you, but you but submitted I'll, it
0: today. I'll get I'll get that up and uh, I'll get that oh. up tomorrow morning.
1: I wasn't sure what uh...
0: we had a busy day at the site today. Oh, I believe you. Yeah,
1: I okay. Yeah, you. I'm not I, ignoring you. I, I was, but yeah, like it's um, it's a, he's a seven runner. Probably doesn't play like that from home to first anyway. On the bases, mm-hmm. it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but be, just because of the nature of Anderson's swing, he's constantly uh hacking way down the third base line. It sort of opens up. It's sort of pull happy kind of swing, especially on the ground. Although he'll, he'll make some contact the other way in the air too. It's uh, and I, I wrote about this as well. Uh, but you know it's, it's, I've never gotten better than a six time on him from home to first, and in part because I think uh, every time I've gotten on him is has been a grounded ball to the left side of the infield, which are just more likely to yield a full effort runtime.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If you ground if you ground at a second base, uh, this is just from independent research I've done and it's purely anecdotal. But mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> if you hit a grounder to second base, you're just more, less likely to run hard than if you hit a grounder to, in the hole to shortstop. Right. So, But, you know, there's sort of... a Your swing, if you're pulling the ball to the left side of the infield, sort of cannibalizes your run time to first base. So sometimes hitters like Anderson are hard, so we evaluate subjectively how fast they can run.
0: Yeah, it's, what, so what's going what's gonna to be the case with Tim? I don't think that you were... You were I don't think you've been gushing necessarily about Tim Anderson. At least at this stage well, think, of his development.
1: Yeah, I think there's gonna be a learning
0: curve. And there has been, you know, the you've suggested
1: it, the walk rate is low. And mm-hmm. that's something that's more likely to be exploited in an approach like that in major leagues than it is in the minors, especially given how physically gifted Anderson is. Like, it's crazy mm-hmm. that he didn't start playing baseball until he was a junior in high school. What, was he, doing? what was
0: he doing otherwise? Basketball. Oh, okay. He was on a
1: state championship basketball team uh, in Alabama. Wasn't the best player on the basketball team.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but, you know, I think he had some knee injuries that were either a result of or occurred during basketball that sort of pushed him toward baseball. Nobody was on him his senior year of high school for baseball. I think the high school is 7.6 miles from the University of Alabama's campus. He had no offers from them. Shelton State Community College is another local uh, athletic school, big-time athletic sort of junior college. Mm-hmm. Totally whiffed on him. He ended up at East Central Community College in Mississippi, uh, played well his freshman year. Nobody drafted him. He was draft eligible for freshman year. It's community college. I think he swiped 30 of 30 bags. Uh, nobody drafted him.
2: Mm-hmm. Just
1: everybody whiffed. And then later that summer, things started to, you know, someone sort of unearthed him. I'm still not sure who it was. And then, you know, next spring, he's a first rounder And so here we are three years later. And he just has incredible physical skill for hitting. It's not pretty. It's not always pretty, but it's the contact is always hard.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and defensively he has the physical ability to stay at shortstop, although he's remains sort of unrefined.
2: Right.
1: So, you know, those ills are going to be more magnified mm-hmm. at the major league level, certainly initially, but I think the quality of the instruction he'll receive up there is, is better as well. And I expect him to improve. I don't think – he might be the best option the White Sox have for shortstop the rest of this year, certainly given what Jimmy Rollins was sort of left doing. Uh But, uh yeah, I don't think he's going to come up and make up some sort of push for rookie of the year or anything like that.
0: You know, it's interesting. <clears throat> it's interesting to me, and if you, if, um, this is entirely founded on um, anecdotal evidence as well, or even something less than that, Uh occasional observation. Um it's interesting to me that a player who who began playing baseball so late, um, or at least began playing a lot so late, uh, would would play shortstop. Uh, because I think of it, uh, even, I mean, regardless of the physical tools, even if the physical tools are amazing, I think of shortstop as a position which has, in addition to you know, requires a certain amount of athleticism, obviously, um, something that has like a, 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 a requires a skill set that's very um, specific to baseball, you know, like in, in sort mm. of, in, to an even greater extent, something like plate discipline, right? You have this, you have this skill, this ability to determine what is and what is not a strike, uh, you know, out of the pitcher's hand, you're identifying, you know, combination of velocity and uh, spin, I guess, simultaneously. And that's, that skill, which, you know, is sort of like a, something that's hardwired into a brain, would, um uh, seems it seems like it is very particular to the sport, whereas mm-hmm. uh you know something like just you know just a lot of things that we connect with tools running and you know running in a straight line for example is um you know there there could be players in a number of different sports who would uh, who would seem to be quite talented you know, who, who would be well acquitted in, those, in that regard but shortstop, yes. like i say has seems to have some baseball specific skills attached to it. yes I think. <laughs>
1: That, yeah, I agree with you that it is odd, given his background, how he is able to competently, though not spectacularly, play a position that you intuitively understand is probably benefited by a long-term uh period of reps at that position. Your hands, your action, all that stuff is sort of polished up by reps. I do think... Uh, I think, I do believe Anderson at one point was playing left field, probably his freshman year at East Central. Okay. Um, but, uh, I, I think that it's fair to consider what might have happened had Alabama or even Shelton State discovered him. And that it's possible that he only ended up playing shortstop at the junior college he ended up at because they had no better options. And had that not occurred, it's possible that you know, the the point in time where he could have feasibly learned how to play shortstop would have passed without him even being given a chance. And so that him actually going to East Central benefited him and the White Sox and just baseball at large because now we have another quality shortstop.
0: What or at least someone
1: who's capable of it.
0: What percentage what, of guys I mean we're to some degree when we're discussing these uh these players who were selected within the top twenty picks out of Um, non-elite conferences Um, to some degree we're talking about guys who have been overlooked but uh, how often does that happen do you suppose an athlete, a player who could have competently who could competently play a major league shortstop uh, isn't ever given the chance or is given the chance at a junior college say uh, but is just never seen never seen on the right day for example never seen because he's surrounded by players who are decidedly not Uh, professional prospects.
1: I think the occurrence of such things is probably bound by time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's probably something that occurs less frequently now than it did years ago when, you know, you couldn't just post a YouTube video of you playing shortstop and have some random scout find it and uh, add you to his follow list for this, this spring. Uh, So I, which makes what happened with Anderson even more uh, interesting. I do think that if this occurs, that it probably occurs most frequently at big-time college programs where you might have the skill set to be a starting pitcher, you might have the skill set to play center field or play uh, shortstop, but because there's just a superior option because you're at Florida or LSU or Arizona State, that you don't ever have that opportunity and that it's never considered. Uh, and I think it takes... I think that's where uh, exceptional scouting can make a, a big difference for a team that sees a guy who plays an inferior position, but identifies uh, his ability to play a more valuable one, and acquires that player. And, you know, allows him to develop their professional baseball.
0: Well, yeah, that, I mean, that seems to be the area in which I mean, I'm assuming there are others too, but there's certainly one area in which a scout could, as, a, as an individual, could very much. Uh, Distinguish himself from his peers by saying, "I've seen this player uh, for whatever reason." The South Carolina is only playing him in right field. However, I think that he would be a monstrous uh, third baseman. You know what I mean? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Um, Or you know, or or, you know, uh, he's a catcher now. Like I mean, Josh Donaldson, of course, did quite a bit of catching, Mm -hmm. and then but then became an above-average defensive third baseman. That's not a shift you see a lot. You do see. Players play both positions sometimes um, because some of the attributes are the same. It doesn't require a ton of uh, foot speed in either case, and you know it does require better hands, good arm. Um, but those are sort of uh, attributes where you could add, you could identify the physical attributes that a player possesses and be able to imagine what that would look like uh, if if deployed differently.
1: You want a guy who, from this past draft who sort of fits that
0: bill? No, let's not. No, no. Okay, that's fine. Nope. <laughs> yeah. What do you got? Dane Dunning. Dane Dunning. Florida. Yeah, reliever from Florida,
1: uh, mid nineties with sink, and an above average slider. Definitely has the athleticism and the physicality and the strike throwing ability to start.
0: In my mm-hmm. opinion. Okay. But Florida was not doing that. No, nope, there. Florida's
1: loaded. I had a scout tell me that he thought of the best five college catchers in the country, if Florida has two of them. Which uh, would be, yeah,
0: can, can I guess, can I guess, can I guess? Yeah. Uh, wait, no, I'm wrong. Oh, wait, where's that Collins from? Is he Miami? That's Miami. Well, then not him. Not him. No, I don't remember.
1: Uh, JJ Schwartz
0: and Mike J JJ Schwartz. Mike Rivera. Very good. You did it. Okay. Did they get drafted? No, they're not draft eligible. This They weren't draft eligible this year. Oh, this next year they will be. Next year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's going to be great when that happens, isn't it? I
1: mean, Yeah, it'll be very interesting.
0: <laughs> so now uh, Dane Dunning, though, was a – it appears that he was, uh, uh, he was a junior this year. Is that right? yeah he might i think he might have
1: made a start or two and definitely pitched some extended outings in relief mm-hmm. uh, but was primarily used as a reliever all year i think that guy can start i think he might be the best yeah i th- it wouldn't surprise me if he ended up being better than a j puck and logan
0: Shore so where did he uh where did dane dunning end up where did he get drafted oh, I love you that. can use a little... if you want if you need to that's fine yeah. If you had to guess off the top of your head, where, what round do you suppose it was?
1: It was. The, I think it was like the sandwich round.
0: Okay. Nationals. Nationals.
1: Was that uh, at twenty seven or twenty eight? One of the first round picks then. Sure. Sure. Twenty nine, twenty eight. There you go. Twenty ninth overall. So it was back in the first round. Okay. Although technically, I think that was the comp round, not the first round. I think the first round technically ended at twenty two. That's fine. Or twenty. That's fine. Nice.
0: Okay. <clears <clears <throat> so Dame Dunning is what's this? Nationals, they had a good draft, including a guy
1: who was very, rated very highly on Chris Mitchell's Cato uh, projections, Sheldon right. Noisy from Oklahoma.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I was going to. Um, I was looking over some of the, the the stats from Big Twelve, and I did know, notice that uh, Sheldon Noisy also, by the maybe predictive stats that I've sometimes published, mm-hmm. I was looking over um, myself, and Noisy uh, finished top among the. Hit- oh. I mean, w- without adjusting even for for position, he was the top of the league.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: and uh yeah you're- you're saying he's well acquitted as well by um um by uh by chris mitchell's numbers mm
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah um so he's- so the nationals also have him indeed they do <laughs> <laughs> uh let's do one more let's do one more guy from uh, the Kyle lewis comps and then i'll, I'll ask you uh, some questions about um about the players that occurred on Chris Mitchell's list. Let's see. Oh, yeah, Hunter Dozier. Yeah, we'll stop. He's the last player from 2013. We talked about Tim Anderson. uh We did some 2014 guys before that. Hunter Dozier from Stephen F. Austin, a school that does not produce much in the way of high-end major league talent. Uh What's the deal? Hunter Dozier, I believe, was playing shortstop for that Stephen F. Austin team, and he doesn't do that any any longer, I don't think.
1: No, and I. it's I, he's not hitting this year. It's kind of a bummer. It was... He had one of the more impressive, like, action movie type physiques uh, from last year's Folly. Like, it was pr- I had no idea that that's. I hadn't seen him before. Right. Uh, so when he sort of showed up and he's. jeez, I don't know. Like, probably like 6'3", 230 or something close to that. Like, Mus- I, Muscular. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. I think he was underslot in the top 10 of that year's draft so that they could take Sean Manaya later. That sounds, that sounds right. Uh, it, I think at the time it was just good athlete, average across the board tools, but there was a lot of physical projection. Uh, and you thought he'd probably end up having to either move to third base or even maybe the outfield. But if that was going to happen with that added physicality, was also going to come more power, and you were okay with that. Uh, so even though he was drafted in the top 10, it wasn't your typical top 10 sort of profile. It was maybe somebody that the Royals thought they were getting in on the ground floor of, Mm
2: -hmm. uh,
1: who had more coming and that they could take on their slot at 8 and enjoy the, you know, planting the seed and letting him grow and then harvesting the fruit of that sort of, uh, burgeoning skill set overall.
0: I like your garden metaphor. Uh, Of course, it's it's, uh, germane to my interests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh,
1: but you know, I don't think uh, beyond that it wasn't some sort of crazy, tooled-up profile or anything like that. It was just they saw him, they liked him. Things were coming late, uh, and you know, it's just sort of leveled off here of late.
0: Yeah. Well, well uh, given the physical yeah, talents something. though, it's not not uh, It's not. It wouldn't seem crazy to believe that he could um, get his act together.
1: Yeah, I agree. I still think that there's a chance that things sort of come together there. I think at his peak, probably after the 2014 season, probably would have been his peak as a, as far as prospectum goes, you were hoping that he's a guy who sort of hit like 260 with like 340 on base and maybe 450, 475 slugging somewhere in there with like 18 to 22 homers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh And I think at through base or in left field that's you know, that's a good player. <laughs> um but I don't know specifically why he's begun to struggle.
0: Let me ask you about the player that was uh projected that was re- received the highest future war projection through age twenty seven at least of any player. This is from Chris Mitchell's Cato system, of any player mm-hmm. in the draft, and that is Dakota Mecas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that to be to be fair. Uh, and I think he's he's uh, very clear about this. Chris Mitchell is not married to these numbers. He does not regard mm-hmm. them as um, as gospel. Um, and yet, I think he would also suggest that, uh, being as they are grounded in um, um, in history, uh, that there is something to be learned from them. Uh, Dakota Meekus was selected by the Chicago Cubs. 314th overall and he uh, played for Michigan State which has not produced a lot in the way of major league talent recently to the best of my knowledge he pitched mostly as a relief pitcher uh, which also doesn't necessarily bode well for what you wouldn't think for his his ability in the major but he struck out a lot of guys did you do you have even one thought on Dakota meccas?
1: Yeah, well, when Chris, I asked Chris to send me his Kato stuff before the draft, Mm -hmm. just to check out. And when I saw Mekis at the top, I was like, "What the hell is this?" (laughs) So I, so I did some digging because I've seen Michigan State, and indeed I've seen Mekis. And like I had, I think 90. Hold on, I think I had him. I think like 90, 92 with Mm -hmm. an average breaking ball. Um, and but so I went back and did some digging. Megas is 6'7", mm-hmm. and has some Carter Capps-esque elements to his delivery where he's really launching hard uh, off the mound and gets really tremendous extension out in front.
0: That's going to help and with his uh, what, effective velocity or percentage. Effective velocity, velocity. Yep. yeah.
1: Uh, and there's also the way his delivery is paced is odd. There's some start and stop in there. You know how sometimes there are NBA players whose free throws – are paced kind of odd and they induce a lot of lane violations oh, because yeah. you anticipate that they're going to release the ball and then there's a pause and then the ball is released.
0: Or like Charles Barkley's uh, Drive. Have you ever seen oh, that? Yes, his golf swing? Yes, yeah, yeah, just yeah. like that. Yeah.
1: There's there's a weird element of that to Megas' delivery that makes him especially difficult to time, uh-huh. especially if you're heavily dependent on... Timing as a hitter, uh, as most Big Ten hitters, I assume, are, considering that there's probably not a whole lot of, uh, physical tools. Right. Uh, about the, the Big Ten. Uh, no offense, Big Ten, sorry.
0: No, 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 that's fine. But, yeah, 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 Uh,
1: but yeah, so that's, part, you know, I don't necessarily, you can't prove that that's causal as to why his numbers are so good. And you could certainly argue that given the fact that I was given these statistics and forced to go back and mm-hmm. uh, text some people and look at some video and like find some stuff, do some digging that there's some sort of confirmation bias going on. That Like mm-hmm. I was actually searching for reasons why he's been so good. Uh, but, yeah, I think that there's probably something more there than there is just when you're evaluating the stuff on paper. Uh, I do think that he'll probably be limited effectively to relief in pro ball,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, which would probably suppress his ability to generate the sort of war that Cato expects him to generate.
0: Or it should be said, maybe because of that, because if it's only, so it's 3.8 wins, right? Which over right. six years isn't impossible to hit. I guess it's just, no. you're also looking at a combination of, um, you know, success and then attrition as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe in certain cases you say, well, this guy is only a relief pitcher, but maybe he has a higher chance. Players with his um you know with his amateur numbers have a higher chance of making it uh, but right. the ceiling is naturally lower as well
1: yeah i, I mean, think that there there would be diminishing returns should Mekis pitch multiple times through the lineup especially at the upper levels players are just better able to adjust to things like his funk
0: right <laughs> his funk is uh, is the issue is it mm-hmm. That's it's one of the big issues his funk what is his funk allows his stuff to play out. What did, what, regarding his, those sort of uh, unusual mechanics you're discussing, what does that look like in a scout's note that he files with his with his organization?
1: Uh, Mechus. It's a good question.
0: I think... You uh, can just throw any terms at me because I'm, I'm interested in the words.
1: Well, that I'm trying are. to think about it and see how I would describe it without having to give... I mean, other than me saying, giving you a long, detailed explanation, like I did give you yeah. about how this looks specifically different, if you want one sort of adjective to describe it, it would be deceptive.
0: Okay. So deceptive, but get I don't think
1: that—that's that, not for me, that it doesn't sufficiently get to the root of what it is.
0: You got—you got—you get said start, stop as well. That mm-hmm. seems to be—I uh, believe, like I've—I've I've heard that before. I heard that uh, those words invoked.
1: Yeah, uh, I think when when start stop is uh, something that's thrown around for pitching mechanics and hitting mechanics that it involve that it's sort of just describing something choppy that's going on that mm-hmm. sort of has a negative connotation to it, uh, and to maybe say that for Mekis without any sort of context might be doing him a disservice on your report, but I could see that as well. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, tell me uh, now. Tell me now about South Carolina's Brayden Webb. Uh, who I believe received the second, uh, the second best projection from Kato, mm-hmm. and uh, was ultimately drafted in the third round by the Brewers.
1: Yeah, the rare draft eligible freshman.
0: Oh, well, how uh, did that happen? I forget. I think he might was it was he redshirted from medicals. Must be age I mean, related at some point. Would have online. been a
1: draft eligible sophomore or something like that. But yeah, I mean it's it's sort of the same kind of thing. Uh, but it's less extreme mm-hmm. than Mekis. Uh, and I think the stuff in general is a little bit better. He's been up to 96 and it moves. Uh, but again, I think kind of there you're looking at a probable relief profile. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens there signing-wise because as a draft-eligible freshman, he's got a little bit more leverage than your typical college draftee. Uh, he's got some more time. But yeah, I think it's you know sort of the same sort of thing. There's deception. The delivery is sort of weird, and uh, the stuff plays up because of it. Uh,
0: also, a an alumnus, I believe, of Owasa, Owasa High School, mm-hmm. uh, which also produced Dylan Mundy. Oh, I, that's right. I totally forgot that. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's some. There's a fact for. You. There's a fact for you. Uh, last last person about whom I'll ask you was Jordan Sheffield, who among those players selected in the first. In second rounds, received the highest projection from Cato. Uh, Jordan Sheffield, a right-hander maybe from Vanderbilt. Does that sound right? Vanderbilt? Yep, that's right. Uh, selected by the Dodgers. And, mm-hmm. uh, um, no, no, not selected, uh, first overall, really, th- selected 36 overall. So, uh, certainly a testament to combination of his uh, success and also his tools, but not, um, n- not as though everyone was clamoring after him.
1: Right, yeah, and it's the second guy, uh, second year in a row the Dodgers have picked a Vanderbilt arm who that has required Tommy John. Oh, uh, who was it last year? Walker Bueller. Oh yeah, Walker Bueller still hasn't thrown, at least as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so like Sheffield, Sheffield was tough because we were we liked the stuff and the athleticism. But because of his size, because of the effort and the delivery, which sort of isn't necessarily bad from a uh, a health standpoint, I don't think, you know, I think there's sort of uh, a misnomer that that's always a thing to worry about. Uh, I'm digressing now. But, yeah, like, he's athletic, crazy arm acceleration, mid-90s stuff, definitely a starter's repertoire. Uh, We'll show you a plus changeup. We'll show you an average... Or better breaking ball. Mm -hmm. But the strike throwing just wasn't there. The stuff could flatten out because of his size, uh, and how low he would get in his delivery sometimes. Because if you're Sheffield's size, I think he's like, he's probably six foot even. Uh, you know, if to drive off the mound as hard as he does takes some bending in the lower half. And so the stuff would come in flat, uh, even though it was sometimes up to 96. And, I think it's fair to question whether or not that is going to play over six plus innings in a rotation and with a uh, more intensive professional workload. So he's another guy who – where uh, that's more traditional scouting friendly as far as the stuff goes. Mm-hmm. But there are just concerns about how – about the durability, given that he has had a Tommy John already, given his size, given the violence in, in the delivery – and given that uh, his strike throwing is not efficient enough to quell the other concerns and uh, have you thinking that it's fine to throw him out there, he'll be able to to throw enough strikes to limit his own workload in in a way and sort of mitigate those other things that we're kind of worried about. That's just not the case. So I think he's got a chance to start and if I were the Dodgers, I'd probably throw him out there to see if it works, Uh, but it's not something I'm anticipating.
0: Here's the last question I'll ask you uh, before uh, you are uh, – well, you can go and do whatever you want later in life. But it, it concerns uh, – um, well, the, f- the last time we talked, you mentioned that, um, that there was going to be maybe an interesting place in the draft in the sort of uh, low 40s mm. where players might who, – who might otherwise have received consideration uh, at the very beginning of the first round, they might be signed there. And I was wondering, did that come to fruition? And, uh, well, if so, uh, how? And if not, then why not?
1: Yeah, it did in a little more extreme way than I thought it might. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mostly I think the Braves were the one. The Braves and the Padres.
0: Well, the Braves the are in the, the brave in, in part, right? They When they traded, when they acquired... Uh, Brian Mattis, and then of course immediately released him. They were doing it mostly for the competitive balance pick, right? Right. At seventy-six.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So they, you know they drafted Ian Anderson at three, and I think the signing bonus there, if it hasn't been reported, is going to be somewhere between three and three and a half million. Uh, so they signed Anderson for well, well under slot at three, so that they had money to spend at forty and forty-four. You dog okay?
0: Yeah. The uh, there's a plumber here. Which is another thing I didn't reveal to you. But, uh, yes, we have a plumber at the house.
1: You have a plumber, and my mother-in-law here.
0: Your mother? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good. Uh, um, yeah. maybe my daughter is so okay, being upfront you.
1: about who is listening in on Just all who's time. here, yeah.
0: Actually, it actually appears that the plumber left, but he, uh, I, well, to, to be perfectly honest with you, I had some, uh, trouble extracting the hoses, um, from the water valves, uh, to install the, uh, my washer. Mm-hmm. So he came out, he also had to hang a pipe, which is not any sort of euphemism. Sure. Uh, hanging a pipe is merely sure. uh, just helping the water flow. And it appears... I'm as though just this,
1: writing that down, though. I'm trying to, I'm working on some screenplays, so I'm this, just... Keep you know,
0: doing it, please. Right. The uh, the PVC piping apparently had, uh, had hadn't melted per se, but it had settled a little bit because of the extreme heat of the water that previous tenants had uh, dumped into it. And it's not really their fault, they're good people, but uh, maybe they just like, uh, you know, they put boiling water down there or something like that.
1: Um I don't think my mother in law she wasn't as far as I'm aware out here to do any uh, handiwork.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: And is instead just here to see her daughter. If you want to ask her about
0: P V C piping, or if you ask her if you go out there and, take home Mac, and just grab your belly and say, it. Hey, uh do you wanna you wanna hang some pipe? That might be misinterpreted. <laughs> I'm what sorry. were we
1: talking about again?
0: Well, we're talking about the early '40s here. You're talking about the Braves. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kyle, like, did, did, is Kyler Mueller, 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 is he part of this? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, quite, I'm not quite as
1: high on Mueller uh, as the Braves probably are. Yeah. So uh, who's going
0: to receive the overslot bonus? Well, Wentz,
1: one, Wentz, I think is already signed. I think, I think they've all already signed. Wentz,
0: uh, Mueller. Joey Both Wentz, left-hander guys. from uh Shawnee Mission East Shawnee Mission East High School in Kansas. Which I believe also who? produced uh Jason Manzukis. Is that possible? Do you know Jason Manzukis?
1: Yeah, I know who Jason
0: Manzukis. I think but did Paul Rudd go there? Yes, I think that is true. John, did Jason Manzukis go there? I don't
1: know this But, uh, but yeah, like Wentz is like big 6'5 athletic, didn't, was sort of off the radar a little bit coming into the spring because he worked out mostly as a first baseman during showcase stuff. Mm -hmm. It was pretty good there. Uh, but you know, like he came into the spring with, uh, mid 90s stuff. I don't think he had allowed a hit in a start till like maybe seven or eight outings into the spring like it was ridiculous Mm -hmm. curveball feel change up feel like the whole shebang it's all there and then his stuff sort of backed up late in the spring as it did the spring before which is part of why he worked out as a first baseman last summer so there's some concerns about durability there i think uh but the stuff was ridiculous and i know that he was a guy who the the phillies were also interested in at 42, and they and the Braves were sort of tussling for the same group of guys there in the early 40s. And, you know, it just worked out the way I think the Braves wanted it to. They got their guy at three, in Anderson, who uh, probably didn't have a home again until 12 with the Red Sox. And so they reaped uh, the benefit of that you know, right. more than sort of selecting Kyle Lewis or, you know, one of those guys who it seemed had a, an earlier place to go and would have just taken less of a discount. Uh, and so I think, yeah, I think the Braves did a good job of doing what they set out to do. I think the Padres did a good job of what they set out to do, which uh, was draft a ton of hurt pitchers, but, you know, those guys are good when they're healthy, uh, and sign those guys to, to big overslot deals, although we're still waiting on Reggie Lawson, who went 71 overall. Uh, who shut down this spring with an injury that was sort of hard to nail down as to what it was specifically. Or even if there was one, because, you know, coaches and kids, camps in general can be a little, uh, I want to say dishonest, but, you know, dishonest <laughs> with, what they, with what they tell people about what the injury might be, like the way Cal was with Dalton Jeffries, who they said had a calf injury and it turned out to be a shoulder <laughs> this year. So like, there's stuff like that goes on. Um but yeah, I think I know there are people who look at the Padres draft class and see Cal Quantrill at eight who really didn't throw he didn't throw for Stanford this spring and then did precious few bullpens and private workouts for teams. They look at that, they look at uh Reggie Lawson who shut down this spring, and Mason Thompson, who was hard to find throwing, another, you know, Tommy John uh patient who's sort of recovering and uh didn't really throw for teams. Before the draft, and they look at all three of those guys and see that they all sort of ended up with the Padres and wonder why. <laughs> so, um, but uh, Lawson has sort of—I don't think he signed. Quantrill's over-slot. Thompson will be over-slot. Uh, so, that, but they were—they were the other team that really sort of uh, had some, you know, financial shenanigans with their bonus pool.
0: Yeah, shenanigans. Listen, I want to—I want to be clear. Uh... Paul Rudd went to Shawnee Mission West, not Shawnee oh. Mission East. Also, uh, also the alma mater of Rob Nair. Shawnee Mission East, no West. As as it is, Jason Sudeikis, not Jason Manzukis. Oh,
2: Sudeikis.
0: Yeah. Do you feel probably uh, up- updated now? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Hey, listen. It's a pleasure always to uh, to speak with you, Eric Longenhagen.
1: Yeah, are we going to do this more regularly? Is that a thing? Yeah, I want to
0: apologize for that. You, you may or may not be aware I recently purchased a house. It's kind of a big life deal, Eric. Yeah. Yes. Okay, sir. I know that. Oh, I know it's so difficult for you when your mother in law comes over. <laughs> you know? But some of us are into. It. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I. Yeah, I just moved uh too. So it's I'm
1: fully aware of the undertaking.
0: Oh, you're saying that what you what you did was as hard as what I did, but yet you were no, available. No, I didn't buy
1: a house. We're still renting.
0: You said, "Oh, we're I still... I moved Carson, I was available more than you."
1: What I No, I don't think I hadn't been officially announced as the the next Fangraphs guy
2: prospect did, analyst did, at that point.
0: Did you uh you get help with your move or did you do
1: it all yourself? No, we well, like, my mom was here at that time.
0: Oh, your mom. So moms are us. helping out? Yeah. Yeah, she helped us move at the time.
1: So, you, uh, so, we, so we your mom's helping you move. Go. We just moved two houses down from our previous house. Oh, like, that's depressing. Down the street into our new house. That's depressing. Not right. really. It's nope. nicer. It's nicer here. We, you know how the Braves are sort of lauded for being, uh, sc- scouting the local Georgia prep kids? Yeah. Because they have you know such a long and familiar history with that player because they just see them constantly because they're right in their backyard.
0: Yeah. That's the way
1: I scouted this house, Carson.
0: Okay, yeah, you were right you were right there. Yeah. <laughs> just walking around the neighborhood. Gee, I
1: like their front door. Like I know everything about this house.
0: Unlike <laughs> I uh you you guess you would say unlike how uh Alabama uh scouted Tim Anderson.
1: Yeah, should have done a better job there.
0: Should have done a better should've job. Yeah, Alabama had a shortstop that was selected last year. What was that little guy's name?
1: Is that Mikey White?
0: Yeah, it was Mikey White. Yeah, athletics. Yeah. Well, what's he What's he doing now? If you had to guess. Mm. If I, uh
1: You know, it's just okay. Striking out a lot. Yeah. It's It's sort of a a utility profile. It's not that no doubt sexy defensive actions at shortstop that you're like, yep, that guy's our shortstop. Yeah. The way Richie Martin sort of is.
0: Yeah. Mikey White is uh, striking out a lot right now, at triple A or, or sorry, high A. Which I don't think he did much of when he was in the. No, uh... oh, maybe he did. Troubling, think. troubling in the Cal League especially. You gotta make you gotta make contact. You gotta make contact. All right. Hey, uh, you've fulfilled your obligation. Why don't you stick around for a second? But in the meantime, we will say goodbye to each other for the purposes of the program. Goodbye, Carson. Well, I just want to say thank you first.
1: Oh, well, you're welcome. Then and then goodbye.
0: Yeah. That has been Eric Longenhagen, the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Oh, wait a second, Hmm. Eric. Yeah, I have to edit this on the train tomorrow. Will you? Um, this is a uh, this is a bonus feature of the DVD. Okay. Will you Will you be here for me um, when I I want to record the introduction right now? Okay. Is it okay? Yeah. But I'm gonna I might um, appeal to you just to. Chi- Chime in briefly. You ready? That's fine. Mm-hmm. You ready? I'm going to record. Yeah, yeah. go This record. is a bonus feature, DVD. Turbo the team of Nebraska, I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making not what is not yet his weekly Thursday appearance, but will likely become his weekly Thursday appearance, Wednesday appearance, Thursday appearance, lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. Eric Longenhagen. Eric Longenhagen is not only the guest, but he's also helping me with the introduction for reasons that the listener will understand by listening to the bonus features of this program. Eric, hello. Hello. Yeah, Eric, this is the introduction to the program uh, on which we discuss, for example, um, um, excellent players from small conferences like Kyle Lewis, um, and also including, for example, past examples like Hunter Dozier and Casey Gillespie. Uh, We look at those players who were selected in the 40s range by the Atlanta Braves to see um, how they compensated for the underslot signing of Ian Anderson, third overall. And now now you say a thing we discussed.
1: We also discussed the San Diego Padres draft class towards the end of the podcast.
0: Yeah. The immediate and
1: future prospects of Chicago White Sox shortstop Tim Anderson and his unique baseball background. That's right. As yeah. well as other ephemera and ridiculousness.
0: Yeah, that's right. And also, you, your mother has stopped by to perform some home improvement. Okay, very good. So I will say now, uh, what is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? Lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs, Eric Longanagan. When does it begin? Right now. Okay. Now I'm going to do. Now I'm going to say that's over. I'm going to say what okay. else is what else is over is the program in general. So thank you once again, Eric.
1: Uh, you're welcome. Yeah,
0: this has been Eric Longanagan. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Sorry.